Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Tuesday, May 25. Well, just ahead, Vimeo spins off from Barry Diller's IAC. But can the online video company hold on to its pandemic gains? Plus, another electrical vehicle maker having trouble making electric vehicles. And we're going to drill down at length on a controversial technology company accused of shady accounting shenanigans. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down in any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn. Hit that subscribe button and follow us to catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down, where we explain the business stories behind stocks on the move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, tell me the three most important developments in the world of business today. Hey, Corey, the three most important business stories of the day. Number one, three reports and a revision all in one story. They all give us a clearer picture of the health of the U.S. economy. The government data show new U.S. home sales dropped in April. There was a significant downward revision of sales in March. Behind this tricky housing market, building materials or costs are on the rise. Inventory is low. We've been talking about this. And at the same time, a separate report, the Case-Shiller Index, shows March marked the highest annual rate of home price growth, 13.2%, since December 2005. And stay with me, the third report shows U.S. consumer confidence holding steady in May. So hopefully this gives us a clearer picture of headwinds we're facing, the true health of the U.S. economy at this moment. Right. Medium new home prices up 20 percent. That revision was the story, though. You know, a month yeah. ago we were sitting here saying, wow, a 21 percent increase in home sales. Now we find out it was only 7 percent. So yeah, we were always saying the month over month. Yeah, the month, monthly numbers can be wrong, but particularly when it's this volatile, when the changes are this big, some of the numbers can be really wrong. But to go from what we thought was 21% to find out it's only 7% and declining now to 6%, a negative 6%, I should say, uh, so 7% to negative 6 is very different from the world we thought we were in that was growing at 21%. That's right. And number two, a business story today, the D.C. Attorney General alleges in a new antitrust lawsuit that Amazon's policy of preventing sellers on its marketplace from offering lower prices other places leads to overall higher consumer prices. The claim is basically that Amazon is allegedly 
unfairly crushing competition. And it joins the recent government antitrust cases against Google and Facebook. But this lawsuit against Amazon could become a blueprint for reigning in big tech. Yeah, and to be clear, that was that's not the Attorney General for the United States, Merrick Garland. No, the D.C. That's the D.C. Yeah. U.S. The U.S. The U.S. Attorney from the District of Columbia, Channing Phillips. Uh, different, different uh, level, uh, but nonetheless a huge deal, uh, and will certainly be getting a lot of attention in the town where Jeff Bezos owns the paper, the Washington Post. And finally, the third most important business story of the day, the U.S. is planning to require pipeline operators to report cyber attacks. And I thought this was probably already a law, but apparently it wasn't. The action is expected this week and will require each company to, de to designate a point person for cybersecurity. This, of course, comes in response to the Colonial Pipeline hack. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's start with one of your favorites, City Trends. City Trends, it is one of my favorites. CTRN. Shares fell over 7% Tuesday, but they've gained 451% in a year. So, what's new with City Trends today? Well, it's a fascinating company. I think most people uh, don't know this company. It's not giant, uh, although they do have 585 stores across the US with an $800 million market cap. Uh, City Trends is an urban retailer, they focus on African American and Latinx customers. Um, it has an interesting history. It used to be allied department stores way back in the day. started in the 40s in the southeast. Um, that had shrunk to a very small business or like 85 stores. Private equity comes in, decides we're going to go straight at the urban market, rebrand at City Trends, start adding stores, eventually taking the thing public. Now, uh, COVID was brutal on this company. Uh, they had a um, kind of a new focus, a new uh, a lot of new initiatives going when they had to shut down all of their stores a year ago. But now they're open and they are thriving. Uh, City Trends, uh, this morning, they reported their earnings. Company still based in Atlanta. They reported a terrific quarter, $285 million in sales, 146% increase over the prior year, 142% increase in same-store sales. Have you ever heard wow. a number like that? $31 million in profits. No. But, Corey, you said that their stores were closed a year ago. So how are you, how are you getting this number? That does make it easier to compare, right? <laughs> Nonetheless, um, even if you compare it to two years ago, right? So let's say same-store sales just can't compare because most of the stores were closed or whatever. If you compare it to 2019 numbers, this quarter's sales were up 39% on a two-year basis. Same-store sales up 25%. That is uh, spectacular. But why? What's behind this? What's behind this? There's a bunch of reasons. They, they've got their product mix right, apparently. Their clothes are cheap. I mean— $10.99 for a loudly printed dress or T-shirt uh, or or jeans or whatever, short jeans. Uh, uh, Loud to you. That, that's fashionable to me. I, I, you look great in that dress, Isaac. I, I, don't, Thank you. Uh, I don't disagree. Thank you. Thank you. But the company said that uh, also government stimulus checks were a big boost. Okay. Uh, but really, they've been able to get their inventory in control. They're willing to sell out of whatever the hot trend is just to replace it with another one. The result is they don't get stuck with inventory. They don't get stuck putting things on the sales rack. And by keeping things off the sales rack, it keeps margins high. Their margins well in excess of 40%. They think they can add 30 more stores this year, get to a total store kind of 1,000 stores over the next few years. And the key to them, they say, is a twofold uh, approach, focusing on product, and really getting the benefits of momentum. Here is the CEO, David Malkin. The team led by Lisa Powell, our, our head merchant, is really dialed into what our customers 
wants, in particular on the trend side, delivering on the basics in a consistent manner, and then filling in with uh, kind of everyday fashion. So I think I, I give that a, a lot of credit. And then I think the other thing is we're, we're building brand awareness. Um, and some of that's coming from the, the nature of, of what 2020 looked like, meaning we drew a lot of newbies into the fold during 2020. And what we're hearing and seeing through some of our research is they're coming back. And there was their folks who weren't in the fold, of course, in 19. And then lastly, the, this last comeback effect is, uh, is almost equal to the newbie effect. And uh, it's great to see. So we're basically bringing people back in the fold who had attrited in 17 and 18 even. And they came back in 2020 and they stayed in the franchise in 21, again, helping provide that lift against 19. So momentum and getting the product right is the biggest thing for these guys. Now, I know you mentioned the stock sold off, but uh, it's had a terrific run lately. Um, They did announce that they're going to stop buying back shares, and that seemed to be the biggest reason. They had a big share buyback going on. That effectively lets the public shareholders own more of the company and it lets earnings per share rise. It's a financial maneuver. We don't like to focus on that stuff too much in this show. Uh, but it's worth noting that this management team was very happy to buy a lot of shares in the 20s and 30s. But when they were buying at $80 a share in the last quarter, they decided to take a little pause on that. Um, that's what you want to see. You don't want to see the management buying shares high and selling them low. Uh, uh, News flash, Isaac, buy low, sell high. Usually a better way to go. <laughs> Just like grandpa used to tell me. Corey, what is your next drill down? Well, let's look at a new stock, Vimeo. Vimeo. Vimeo shares trades under VMEO. Shares fell 17% in their first day of trading. So let's take the trading part aside. I said it's a new stock. It's an old company. Uh, The technology company is a YouTube competitor out there. Well, it was owned by IAC, Barry Diller's IAC. And um, it has uh, been a, a, an interesting and growing business and starting to have a lot of success um, with some new products and a new focus and a new management team within IAC to a large degree. Uh, the video streaming service had a spectacular COVID with sales up 40%. So the growth was so good that Barry Diller said, uh, you know, it's time to get this thing outside from underneath IAC, let everyone see what it is. Um, distribute the shares uh, into a separate Vimeo company so everyone can just see how strong the business is, whether it's people in Wall Street or elsewhere, giving it a different valuation and not really an IPO, but essentially handing shares off to the current owners of IAC. I think what happened with the stock today to a large degree was people kind of taking money off the table saying, cool, I got this extra thing. I wanted to own IAC, not Vimeo. I'll sell my Vimeo today and keep the IAC. So, Corey, how strong is Vimeo? Well, Vimeo's uh, growing fantastically, uh, and the numbers across the board have been really strong. The business that was really strong to me that's interesting is their enterprise business. And what they're finding within Vimeo is they might have just one person within a big company who starts to use Vimeo to manage and host some of the video products that a company, the content that the company is putting together, and they suddenly find the need to be enterprise customers. So they contact Vimeo, they get signed up as an enterprise customer. What they talked a lot about during a special analyst say they had before the, the the listing, the separate listing, which they could do. You can't do that in IPO, but you can actually talk to customers about or potential investors about what a company is going to look like before it's publicly traded as a separate entity if it's still part of a, of a public entity. So they were able to come out uh, a few weeks ago and really give a, a detailed look 
at how this business worked. Their CEO, uh, Anjali Sood, uh, she said that they're retaining customers who came in during the pandemic. They're converting them faster than ever. So when they get a new lead, they're able to convert them into actual customers faster than ever. But importantly, they're creating new products that they think are going to keep those customers around. Retention is solid. You know, one of the big question marks was you have all these cohorts that came in last year. We've been watching their product engagement very closely, but are they going to stick around? Um, and we are seeing that. Um, we are seeing uh, engagement, a uh, number of a percentage of our users who uh, and our customers who engage with our tools and products on a weekly basis. That is held steady. That percentage has not changed in two years, pre and post pandemic. On the enterprise side, as I've shared, you know, days to closers getting shorter. Um, you know, customers are sticking around. We're able to expand. Pipeline's good. Um, and so really, you know, they're generally very positive. And then most importantly, and this gets to your second question, we're making good progress on our product roadmap. That would probably be my biggest risk for the year is if the things that we had set out to build this year, we didn't think we would be able to ship and deliver. And I'm seeing really strong progress. So Anjali Sood. Uh, a new person to me. She's impressive. And uh, we're going to try to get her on the show because I think she's um, she's got a lot of interesting things to say about this company that is trying to come up on the heels of that giant YouTube. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's talk about the wannabe electric truck manufacturer, Lordstown Motors. Lordstown Motors. Uh, they trade under Ride, R-I-D-E. Shares fell 9% today. And they've lost 11% over the last 12 months. So why do they call this Lordstown? What's, what's the significance there? Lordstown, Ohio, uh, a, a one-time great manufacturing city down in the dumps. These guys have come in there and said that they are going to uh, revive that community with manufacturing once again, just like the good old days. It's part of the story. Indeed, this company is largely a story. Uh, without uh, a lot of production or any real production right now. They came out with quarterly earnings yesterday, um, and they said that turns out this is a little bit harder than they thought to make electric trucks in a hurry. Um, uh, in the conference call, they talked about uh, – they appointed a special committee to investigate accusations of shady behavior, uh, allegations uh, from a firm uh, that is short the stock. They talked about an SEC investigation that resulted perhaps from those uh, accusations. And they said that it turns out making electric trucks is going to be more expensive than they'd planned. Uh, they said it was exceeding prior expectations and that, quote, the pace of the production ramp will depend on our ability to secure additional funding. So they're running out of money. It's happened to all of us. Uh, but here they are um, now saying they're going to spend another $250 million in capital expenditures this year, $55 million in overhead, another $280 million in R&D. And it sounded to me, I mean, I'll let you listen to what the CEO had to say, but it sounded to me like they're still kind of figuring out this whole truck manufacturing thing on the fly. Here's CEO Steve Burns. So as we, um, as we marched through uh, everything, some things were a little more expensive than we thought. Some things we had to go outside for validation like the brake testing and things like that. And a lot of it's just how we're going to make these parts uh, inside rather than, than purchase them. So that kind of all dovetails into, into that. So still figuring out which parts they're going to make as opposed to buy in the open market, still saying they're going to try to get a truck out uh, on their original schedule, but now they're going to have to make the, the 
base of the truck, the frame of the truck. You know, most most uh, trucks are manufactured where the frame is separate from what goes on top. So you could put a Ford Bronco or a Ford Ranger on top of the same frame. Uh, these guys are saying now they're going to have to go out and make their own frame, get that crash tested and approved, and they, they still say they're going to try to do it in the same year. Listen to CEO Steve Burns. Um, I mean, well, as you pointed out, Isaac, I mean, we had some news last week in the truck front. Yeah. So just last week, Ford, you know, they showed us the 2022 model of the best-selling truck in the world, the F-150. I mean, do they even, does this company, Lordstown, even have money to make anything? I mean, that's the question, right? If, the, if Ford's yeah. coming out with the uh, uh, the 2022 Lightning F-150 that'll be yeah. electric and it'll be under $50,000, can these guys get a truck out faster and better than Ford? Here's a CEO. We just wanted everybody to know that, you know, with with no funding, we can we can get, uh, you know, get trucks out this year, which, we, again, we think is paramount. Uh, and so we're expecting to to receive funding in, in the various manners of which we've discussed. Uh, and we expect the ramp to, to be basically what we had hoped, but we have to put the asterisk of, you know, it's going to require us to be successful in our fundraising, which again, we are, you know, going to be the only, ele the electric pickup truck market, as far as we're concerned, just got a huge boost last week. Right. And, um, uh, and to have, um, uh, have our model be almost the same. We feel that, uh, we should we should keep our ramp and that we have with being debt free and ATVM loan op, op, optionally uh, we feel will be there. But we wanted to make sure everybody knew that worst worst case we are still making pickup trucks this year. I like his optimism. Well, that's that's uh, what, you know. you, what do you people say in the south? Uh, I don't know. I'm not from the south. <laughs> um, well, you don't to say. <laughs> Don't you say, isn't he precious or isn't, uh, oh, yeah, bless yeah, his you heart. Bless you drop his a heart. bless. You might not be from the South, but you drop a bless his heart like the best of them. Oh, I do like, well, my mom says bless, bless your heart a lot. Um, well, yeah, so bless Steve his heart. Burns, bless your heart. <laughs> All right, coming up next, we're going to look at an opportunity that our guest sees in a controversial healthcare company that has been accused of accounting shenanigans and worse, eHealth, coming up next. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with the Business Podcast Network on LinkedIn and check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome back to The Drill Down. Our guest, Lamar Villery of Villery & Company, the guys behind the Villery Balance Fund. Uh, lots of experience with some big portfolios, including a $17 billion domestic equity portfolio with the Illinois Teachers Retirement System. But we're here to talk about a stock that's of a different order. This company is called eHealth. Lamar, thanks for joining us. This is a controversial name, uh, particularly for me as someone who used to run a sizable short-only portfolio. I look at a name like this, it's had all kinds of accusations about accounting problems, aggressive revenue recognition, 
and uh, I tend to stay away for a long time. I love that you've got the uh, uh, bravery, shall we say, to look at this name. What do you see? Well, let's back up a little bit. What is eHealth? Sure. So, um, you know, a couple of quick data points. It's a sub $2 billion market cap. They're based in Santa Clara. Um, but but the, the key in the is heart of Silicon Valley. In right? the heart of Silicon Valley. Exactly. I think that's important to the story. That's why I mentioned that. Yeah. So um, eHealth, at, at its core, it's a broker for Medicare Advantage plans. Um, so maybe a quick primer on Medicare Advantage for anyone who's not up to speed on that. Uh, Medicare Advantage um, is the fa- fastest part of uh, Medicare, the fastest growing part of Medicare. It's, it's uh, growing significantly faster than traditional Medicare. And it's basically an overlay of private insurance on top of Medicare. So Unlike Medicare, it can include drugs, dental, vision, hearing, transportation, fitness, et cetera. Um, in some cases, it can cost as little as $0 per month uh, and up from there. The other important thing on it is that it provides an annual limit on the consumer cost. So, um, you know, the consumer can only be out of pocket so much. It's, it's a key part of the Obama health care plan, right? That's right. And it's, it's really the, like I said, it's the Affordable fastest growing. It's, it's the part, it's kind of the part that's working uh, best of the medic, overall Medicare program, uh, both from a consumer perspective and from the uh, government's perspective. Um, so these guys are a broker for that, right? Um, key demographic uh, information to be aware of as you look at something like that, you've got right now, you've got 10,000 Americans turning 65 every day for the next 20 years. So a nice tailwind there. Um, uh, you've got, uh, you know, eHealth, the differentiator in eHealth, it's it's one of the top uh, uh, players in the space. The key differentiator for eHealth is that they're much more aggressive in trying to grow their online um, business. So as compared to their competitors, which are basically purely uh, telemarketing, eHealth. Old-fashioned uh, insurance brokers. Old-fashioned insurance brokers, smile and dial, TV advertising, et cetera. Um, you know, they, they're, they, they're talking about growing out there online, but they're saying, hey, this isn't a very uh, internet savvy uh, uh, demographic. Let's focus on, you know, the basics. Um, so the, they're, they're talking about growing it. eHealth is already there. They signed up uh, 35, 37% um, online, or at least partially online in 2020, up from 27% the year before. So it's growing very quickly. And so they and they like to position themselves as well. Heck, I saw um, uh, someone on uh, one of the television networks rolling up his sleeves and saying, "This is like the Zillow or the Expedia of of health insurance." Or you know, this notion that it was a super exciting um, modern Silicon Valley take on the old fashioned world of of uh, insurance. Sure, and and if you think about it, um, you know, it's it, the Medicare Advantage landscape is massively complicated. Making that decision for a, um, a new sixty-five-year-old is very complicated and very important. Uh, it's you know they need to figure out. I need to make sure I've got all my doctors on there on whatever plan I do. I need to make sure I've got whatever medications on whatever plan I choose, and I need to make sure it's it's at a reasonable cost or the the best possible cost for me. Um, and that can be incredibly confusing. You can go on medicare.org and do it that way. But as you can imagine, medicare.org is not quite as user-friendly as eHealth. And so they've built out their system to basically enable consumers to very accurately pick the best plan. Now, even, you know, I I cited some numbers there that made it sound like they were doing a lot of online. The bulk of that is both cross-channel. So people are maybe checking out some programs online, then calling and asking about it, or calling and asking and then checking out online. 
But the point is, the online piece is growing much faster uh, and is much more significant than their their peers. So that's that's kind of the key uh, thing to be aware of for them versus their competitors. The key competitors. Well, here that all Go sounds Health. great. That sounds easy. Yeah. What is more it, to well, this story? Nothing's easy, uh, as you know. Um, so the the big uh, issue they've had. So just just to give a little bit of uh, perspective, you were saying it's a little controversial. So. We bought this stock in, in late 2019. It was in the mid 50s and now it's in the mid 60s. So great, we're up 18%, right? Well, in the meantime, <laughs> it's been up as high as 150 and low as, as low as 47. So it's had uh, wild, it's been a wild ride. Um, and, Back and, to my former colleagues at CNBC. It's a roller coaster ride, but this is, this it is, is a roller this coaster is ride. Heart stopping stuff when the stock goes way up and then completely plummets on a report in particular from Carson Block and the fine folks at Muddy Waters Research. That's right. And the big, the, so the big um, issue highlighted by Muddy Waters, well, let me, a, a quick, uh, I'll try to make this as painless as possible, but a quick sidebar on, on accounting. Um, they're required, when, when they win a new customer, they're required to estimate the lifetime value of that customer. So the, the revenues that are booked are not, the actual traditional, you know, selling a widget and you get the money spent for the widget, but they have to make some assumptions on what the lifetime value of that customer is and book it all at once. Uh, okay, well, simple enough, but the devil's in the details as always. They have well, to right. make a lot so of let me, assumptions. Let me, let's, let's unpack that for just a second, right? So if, if you, you sign up a customer and you say, this customer is going to be with us for two years, eh, this customer is going to be with us for 10 years. And then you book the value of that customer at that moment. If you assume the customer is going to be there for 10 years and never defaulting and sticking with you, you can book a lot more. It's an assumption. It's not an actual um, uh, uh, money in the front door. And those rules have changed, right? It's changed for for the way eHealth has applied over the last, I think, three years. Right. So, well, the, the rules change to make them uh, book it that way as well as the assumptions is, is you know, it's difficult for eHealth and its competitors to make an estimation of what each customer is when they come in and the the, the other diff, the other thing that's difficult is there's a very different very different types of customer profiles and what eHealth has painfully found or what they really found last year is that the customers who are coming in through uh, direct television advertising the the television response channel and through external telesales so non eHealth uh, uh, salespeople uh, external salespeople tend to churn, tend to leave the network or churn much more quickly than those that come in either through eHealth online or through their internal agents. Uh, so what they were having, they were having explosive growth, which which led to the stock getting up in the 140, 150 range. But then it turned out that was sort of a, a fool's gold, fake, not, I don't want to say fake growth, but a, a not long-term type growth. So they, they these so were not shocker. They run customers. a bunch of ads on late night TV for Medicare plans, and they find that the customers they're getting don't stay with them as long as they had hoped, and importantly, as long as they had accounted for. That's exactly right. So then all of a sudden, everyone says, holy moly, they're wildly overstating. These assumptions are way too high. These are not high-quality customers that they're booking. These, are, these people are churning off at an alarming rate. And so, you know, this, this, this thing is, this thing, you know, the, the bear case for folks, good folks at Muddy Waters would say, this is a sham and this is something that should be shorted. Um, so what do we do from here? So um, 
fortunately, we were, we were lucky enough, not, not because we knew this was exactly happening, but just to take some profits up in the high range. Um, and then the stock tanks. Uh, at this point, we've had a number of calls and conversations with the management team and with other experts in the area. Uh, so eHealth right now is at about 57% internal agents. You know, they, they bear out the statistics of who stays the longest and who stays the shortest. And we talked about who stays the shortest and churns the fastest and is the lowest value customer. They're obviously, as you might expect, they're moving away from that aggressively. This year, they're going to get to 90% uh, via internal agents. So I think what we're going to see for this company Growth is going to slow down. The revenue growth is going to slow down both because their assumptions are going to be taken down as well as they're not going after these uh, sort of junk food type customers that are that are great on the way in, or, or I think they were referred to them as empty calories. The, the folks that come in quickly and turn off the network. I they're think going that's be going 100% the right way to refer to them as a, as a junk food customer, right? The other thing, because it really did seem very appealing in the short term. It looked like, especially with this accounting treatment, uh, this non-cash accounting treatment that let them count a long-term value in a short-term gain. Um, it's like a, it's like a diet Coke. That's right. And so we're, we're, we're glad to see, uh, we, we think they've, they've had their come to Jesus moment on this. Um, and, you know, like I said, we've had extensive conversations with management team and others, and, and we think they're, they're on the right track. And so what we do, you know, we we're fortunate enough to have a long-term, uh, long-term, uh, clients and who understand we're, you know, we're, we're playing the long game here. Uh, we can accept some volatility and we think they're dead on with their uh, strategy, uh, generally in terms of focusing on moving their business to the online channel. They're seeing the online channel, not only the people stay on longer because they've, they've taken some ownership in the decision rather than having somebody on the other end of the phone tell you what your plan is. You've chosen your plan with the proper research. And number two, Obviously, it's a lot cheaper to sign somebody up online where they're just clicking the mouse rather than taking an hour plus of, a, of an agent's time um, and going through the different things. So um, we think as you look at, you know, every day, like I said, every day, 10,000 people turn 65, but the, the 10,000 people that turn 65 tomorrow are going to be more web savvy than the, than the 10,000 that turn 65 today or, or yesterday. It's, it's, it's clear and you can see it, in, I'm sure, in the people that you know and of, of different ages, uh, it makes a huge difference. Uh, every year, two years, five years, it makes a huge difference. So we think these guys are pointed in the right direction for the long term. Um, so this is the kind of stock we like to hold. Well, I, I, and, you know, I love the the post-controversy play. Look, the, the macro picture, the 30,000-foot view looks really interesting, right? Put a better front on, front end on a better user experience on that horrible process of trying to find health insurance, particularly for people um, who are ancient like me and looking for easier ways to do things in every respect. Um, uh, I guess maybe more a little computer savvy than some ancient people, but uh, nonetheless, um, it sounds like a great idea. Medicare growth sounds like a great idea. But what you've seen from the execution of this management team isn't great, right? You saw them. Uh, so one of the, the um, uh, facts that was noted by Muddy Waters and Carson Block in particular, the head of Muddy Waters Research um, and others, was that insiders not only used this accounting treatment that gave them some leeway in how to measure the duration of their customers, went after what proved to be lower value customers and then sold stock themselves during the process, which is one of the reasons when you read their 10K filing, you see lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit uh, from shareholders. Sure. And and to that point, 
Um, in the last uh, couple of months, you've seen um, some significant changes in, in corporate governance. Um, so Hudson Executive Capital, which owns uh, a little more than we do, which owns 6% of eHealth, uh, they've recently, they're adding two board members. Uh, Starward Value, uh, also adding a, uh, adding a board member. And I think the, the, the most exciting thing from our perspective is HIG Investments, which is um, HIG is one of the you know most successful private equity firms out there. Uh, one that I know well from my my former life in private equity. Um, invested 225 million dollars in a convertible preferred, and are adding a board member. Um, you know HIG is a group that doesn't invest to make one and a half times their money. They don't invest to make two times their money. They're three times plus uh, type guys. So. Uh, we really think the board has had a significant change. Um, speaking of changes, you may have noticed that uh, yesterday the CFO stepped down. Uh, I think that probably is relevant to everything I just said and everything you were saying right before that in terms of some aggressive accounting, some different corporate governance. Um, like I said, we you know we we take the the thirty thousand foot view and just say we think they've gotten the, they've righted the ship. They're in the right place. They've got great tailwinds, and uh, we think it's a great long-term play. So let me ask you about that. Are you confident that the the worst is over? I mean, just in the last conference call on April 29th, they announced that their churn rate from a year before, which they had reported to be for 38%, was actually 43%. Uh, and their churn rate is still quite high. It is It is quite high. Um, I'm not, like I said, we're, we're, we're long-term, so we're not here trying to call the perfect bottom uh, but we see a significant more potential upside than downside, and that's that's the kind of risk return we're looking for. What about competition? There was uh, uh, this a story that came out, and I'm calling it a story, not a business development. But there was a story that came out that Berkshire Hathaway and Amazon and a bunch of other big companies, JP Morgan, kind of come together and create a, some sort of health insurance technology solution. And it seemed it seemed uh, specious at the time, and it proved to be just that. Um, but you know, the notion of putting a, a better web front end on anything has seemed like increasingly low-hanging fruit in the world of uh, technology. Is is that a concern here that someone else could come, like an Amazon or somebody uh, who's talked about a desire to, to offer products, including computer products, and, uh, uh, interface products, um, in this sector might take this, this obviously great opportunity away from eHealth? It's, uh, you know, anything's possible and, and Amazon's, a, I think there's any company or any CEO that isn't waking up in the morning terrified that Amazon's going to move in is, is pretty foolish. Uh, with that said, this is incredibly complex, um, you know, trying to get all this data, get, try to you know, lay this out the right way for people to get on is incredibly complex. And on a regulatory basis, right? I mean, it's yeah. really hard to yeah, sell insurance brutal. state by state by state, state different by kinds state, of approvals, different rules. Exactly, different rules, different, different plans, different uh, carrier partners, et cetera. So um, I think I, I would look at that more as an opportunity in terms of a potential um, acquisition or them being potentially acquired uh, rather than somebody trying to just greenfield, try to build uh, a competitor. Uh, well, a fascinating story. Uh, Lamar, I'm so glad you brought this to us because I hadn't looked at this in a year. And um, it, it definitely, uh, you know, the things that were said about it, a lot of them proved to be true. But maybe that is an opportunity. Uh, certainly, it's an interesting business, which is much more important to me than a stock price anyway. Um, though not to you, Lamar Villary, uh, Villary of Villary & Co. and the Villary Balance Fund. We appreciate your time. How can our listeners continue to follow what you guys are doing over there at the Villary Balance Fund? 
Uh, we keep our uh, website. We're at Villary.com um, updated with, with content of what we're thinking and what we're doing. And uh, that's, that's the best way to keep an eye on us. All right. Great stuff. Lamar Villary. Roll up next on the drill down the bite. That one number that tells us a whole lot. I told you that a year ago uh, about uh, eHealth told us that their 38 percent churn rate was nothing to worry about. It turns out it was even worse than that at 43. So what is it right now? We'll tell you about that churn rate after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, and TuneIn. Hit that subscribe button, follow us, and catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with The Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot, Isaac. I told you that their 38% churn rate that turned out to actually be 43 in real life. Mm. So what is it now after all these great changes uh, that we were talking about uh, with this company? Well, still not great. Uh, Report at the end of April, the company said their trailing 12-month churn for Medicare Advantage plans had declined from 43% to 42%. But it is a trailing number. It includes a lot of those plans that they're trying to uh, walk away from. So we'll see how that progresses. I think general rule of thumb is anything, you know, nearing 30% is not great because it means that you're, you know, you're going to all of your customers that you've got now won't be around three years from now. You need that customer base. Yes, they do. And we need you listeners. Thank you for listening to us at The Drill Down. Thank you for subscribing to us and downloading us repeatedly on multiple devices. We need all the help we can get. I'm Corey Johnson. He's Isaac Webster, our executive producer of The Drill Down. It's a production of the Business Podcast Network. Three, two, one.